Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Hello and welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud, what women are talking about three times a week. I'm Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman. And I'm Jessie Stevens. And on the show today, did Carrie and Big, RIP, yes, there are spoilers now, convince a whole generation to persevere with toxic relationships? And how do you hold up in some festive personality tests? But first, this week, Mia and Jessie, the British Prime Minister had a baby. He fathered a baby, Boris Johnson. How many has he got now? Well, it is his seventh child or possibly his eighth. Not entirely clear. Does he know? He's not telling. Okay. That's the reality there. Mm. It was a girl who does not yet have a name and she is this little sister to Wilfred who's only one. So while Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of Britain, has been in office, he's had two babies. Now, babies are happy news for everyone. But given what's been going on this past week, baby news may not be enough to give Boris the bump in the polls he might need to keep his job. So I'm going to do a bit of explaining for you about what's going on over at number 10, which is where the British Prime Minister lives. Are you ready? I know that from love, actually. It's where Hugh lived, Hugh Grant. That's right. I'm so glad that you're going to do this because I've seen him all over the news. There's stuff about the UK and Omicron and his... Silly little head with his silly little messy oh. hair. You're not a fan. Should we just disclose that? <laughs> Actually, yes, I should put that up front that I am not a fan. So I will do my best to be impartial in my dissection of this, but I'm not convinced I'll pull it off. Which side is he from? The bad he's a one. Conservative. <laughs> he's a conservative. So he's a Tory, as we call them in Britain. So he's on the right. Okay. So He's in a lot of trouble at the moment. Boris has quite a Trumpian streak about him, right? Like a renegade, although he's posh and he's from the establishment in Britain in a way that, well, Trump was never really from the establishment. He just had a lot of money. But Boris is posh, but he has a very Trumpian streak in that Boris does what Boris wants and he doesn't have a lot of time for other people's opinions or judgments. And this has got him into a little bit of trouble over this past week. First of all, a Christmas party. Not from this Christmas, but from 12 months ago. So this time last year, 67 million Britons were about to be told that they couldn't spend Christmas with their families. Just before Christmas last year, Britain was plunged back into a lockdown that ended up lasting for the best part of five months, really. Mm. And it came off the back of a lot of other very strict restrictions because Britain's COVID toll has been terrible. More than 170,000 Britons have died of COVID. Almost every Briton knows somebody who has, if not died, been very, very ill. It's been serious. The cases are through the roof. And this time last year, Britain was entering into a cold, long, bleak lockdown, unless they worked at number 10, in which case they were having a Christmas party. And the reason we know this is because just in this past couple of weeks, a video has surfaced of Boris's then press secretary, who's called Allegra Stratton, 
doing a dummy press conference addressing the rumour that there had been a Christmas party at Downing Street. Here's a little bit of what was in that video. There was a Downing Street Christmas party on Friday night. Do you recognise those reports? <laughs> I went home. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on. Would the Prime Minister condone uh, having a Christmas party? <laughs> What's the answer? I don't know. I didn't know. It wasn't a party, it was cheese and wine. Just clear, it's not. <laughs> Is cheese and wine all right? No. It was a business meeting. <laughs> I'm joking. This is recorded. It's fictional party. It was a business meeting and it was not socially distanced. So they're joking there about the fact that it might leak, that there was a Christmas party at Downing Street for staffers. Mm. And indeed it did. It leaked, but not till nearly a year later. Boris wasn't actually at this Christmas party, by the way, but he appeared on screen being the quiz master as many of his staff huddled around computers, drank lots of wine, had a good old time. So given that it was in his household, because it's, it's different to other places in that 10 Downing Street is where he lives, so it's not like he didn't know it was happening. No. Has he got plausible deniability or not? Uh, no, he doesn't because he was there on film. Like oh, he was, okay. yeah, so he was the quiz master Ooh, going. Oh, wow. Yeah, so no, he knew it was happening. But yes, you're right. As you do know from Love Actually, Jesse, mm. number 10 is where the offices of the Prime Minister are, but it's also where he lives. So he lives in a flat, which is actually adjacent in this case because he needed a bigger flat because he's got a family. So it's at number 11, but it is his home. For context as well, I was reading how many people in the UK are currently in court over fines to do with this exact like it was being enforced by the authorities so if you were having a party around that time police were showing up they had body cam footage and there are people in court paying an enormous amount of money for breaches breaches like this so while they're in court they're watching this going are we going to do an investigation and the line that Boris has used and a lot of people in his party has used is no rules were broken and there's a question that a lot of legal experts are asking in the UK which is is there some exemption about land owned by the Crown or something that, like, maybe there is a loophole that they exploited, but they're not currently being investigated, which is annoying a lot of people. And she had to quit, right? Although a lot of people don't actually want it investigated too because, what a, I mean, that the resources that will tie mm-hmm. up, it, was, it clearly happened. The reason people are so annoyed is just this disregard of one rule for us, one rule for you. That's mm. that's ultimately why people are annoyed. And, and people this- died. Like people during yes. that, like couldn't visit family members who were in hospital. People are traumatised by that time while the elites were laughing and playing a quiz, literally telling people at the same time that Christmas was cancelled for them. It's just the exactly. ultimate like hypocrisy. How would you compare it, Hold, to the sort of vibe two years ago when Scott Morrison was in his Hawaiian shirt during the bushfires in Hawaii? I'd say it's quite similar, to be honest. I'd say it's a very similar vibe because I think that the feeling that the nation has, and it's not just the Christmas party, it's a few things, because, you know, you could argue those people work hard, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure they're all, but actually they wouldn't have been vaccinated because no one was vaccinated this time last year. But yeah, very similar is that basically this idea that you get to do this while the rest of us are suffering. The other thing he's in hot water about is spending a lot of money that was donated to decorate his flat. So as previously addressed, Boris Johnson is very posh. He went to like the poshest schools in England. But in England, not all posh people are rich and not all rich people are posh. It's a very important distinction to make there. You can be very, very, very rich in England, but not considered posh at all. And you can be very, very, very posh, but not really all that rich. Which are you, Holly? 
<laughs> neither. I am neither of those things. <laughs> Boris apparently is falling into that ladder camp these days because he couldn't afford to do up his flat at number 11 for him and Carrie and Wilfred and the unnamed new baby. And he got Tory party donors to donate for that flat to be done up. Now, this has been a story that's gone on for almost a year now because a lot of it has been possibly sexist criticism that his partner now wife Carrie Johnson has very expensive taste darling and was buying wallpaper that is gold embossed and cost more than 800 pounds a roll which is like double that for Australian dollars to decorate number 11 and Boris has always said that that was a bit of nonsense but actually in the last two weeks the Conservative Party have been fined for the misuse of these funds, which basically is the receipts that it happened, right? The flat was done up, the money came from somewhere else, and what a gross waste of money and time. And Britons are not happy. Has this affected his popularity? Like, Because he's incredibly popular most of the time, right? Well, he was popular, right? But he's not that popular now. And Britons are really pissed off for lots of reasons. So Omicron has come at a very bad time in Britain. Numbers are skyrocketing there, COVID numbers. Vaccine booster uptake has been slow until now. Why is that? Because I was watching that he announced today there's a big push to get everyone having boosters. I got my booster on Friday We got our vaccinations so much later than they did in the UK. Why haven't people been getting boosters much earlier? Boosters have been available in Britain, but they haven't been massively taken up. Britain was really good at rolling out the first Mm. wave of vaccines, but the boosters seem to have been bungled a bit more. And also there doesn't seem to have been a massive sense of urgency until now with Omicron. Because the thing is, with a population the size of Britain's, 67 million people, even if Omicron is considered not as dangerous as the other variants, if enough people get it, and they will, enough of a proportion mm. of those people will be in hospital or worse from this. So, the so it's a numbers game. Could be back in the situation by Christmas, because remember, it's winter there, which means back to indoor socialising, all those things. We could be back to the situation in Britain of the NHS being completely overwhelmed, where they'd had a really good period with COVID. So this is also adding to the fact why everybody's really pissed off with Boris, because Boris is in the position where he's reintroducing restrictions. Now, to us in Australia, the restrictions that have been reintroduced wouldn't seem that full on. They've suggested that everybody go back to working from home. They have reintroduced mandatory masks on public transport or is about to, which you might question why that ever didn't happen. And they're talking about a COVID pass that we already have in many states here, which is that, you know, you show your vaccination status and all those things to get into places. Still, even though those restrictions don't seem that serious, probably to us, they're very controversial there. After Mm. two years of really Mm. draconian and difficult times, People are very, very overwhelmed and glum about this. Because they went like, bang, it's Freedom Day, which we we didn't do in that same way. And we've still, you know, they don't have masks indoors. They don't have masks. I follow a lot of kind of people who live in the UK and they're never wearing masks anymore. Because you don't and they have don't to. scan into places and they mm. don't have vaccine passports and they don't have lots of things that we would take for granted. So Boris is bringing that back in and it's very unpopular, including among portions of his own party, because just like here, there are portions of the Liberal Party, obviously, who are very against mandatory restrictions, personal freedoms, etc. So Boris is in the position of having to reintroduce restrictions while being broadly criticised for not following restrictions. Oh, Apparently, yeah. he hasn't been wearing a mask nearly all year. And let's not forget that he nearly died of COVID in the first wave. 
and everybody's very grumpy. And this weekend, actually Thursday, there's a big by-election in a place called North Shropshire, which has been conservative for 200 years. And it looks like they're going to lose. So Boris's baby, which I think they should very quickly roll out a photo shoot, a name, some very cute pictures of her hanging out, Mm. not in front of gold embossed wallpaper in number Mm. 11, might be enough to save him, but it doesn't look like it. Yeah, I think a picture of the baby with a mask on. They should call the baby Diana. (laughs) Yes. Who's going to get angry about that? (laughs) Oh, hi, guys. This is Karen. I wanted to say I really do love Mamma Mia Outriders. I've just listened to Wednesday's podcast and just one thing I wanted to say though about divorce is, and I know the piece was light-hearted, but particularly for women over 50, it's the reason for homelessness, financial stress and poverty. So it's just really important to remember that we don't all have the pockets of Kim Kardashian. Anyway, thanks so much, guys. I'm a subscriber and have really enjoyed the shows during lockdown. Keep up the good work. Bye. Mamma Mia! subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia! subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia! Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. In case you missed it, where have you been? Sex and the City's back. It's got a new name. It's called And Just Like That. We had a debrief about our feelings about the first two episodes on Friday's show and on tomorrow's special episode for Mamma Mia! subscribers, we're doing an unfiltered deep dive recap of the first two episodes blow by blow. But today we are reflecting on the big and carry relationship dynamic. And we're up to my favourite part of pop culture commentary, which is where we start analysing imaginary things and blaming them for things in the real world. So on Friday, it's no news anymore. It's barely even a spoiler. Mr Big dies after a Peloton workout. Peloton is a very fancy exercise bike and Peloton had a very bad week. They had a very, very bad week and they had to make this statement that was very funny. It didn't mean to be. But they had to say how sad they were that Mr Big died after riding his Peloton and you know, saying that the Peloton probably extended his life because he had a history of cardiac issues, which seems like a bit of a stretch, but you got to do what you got to do. Then on the weekend, I read a piece that asked whether the romanticizing of Carrie and Big's relationship over all the seasons of the show and both movies actually conditioned a generation of women to think that it's a good idea to pursue a guy who just isn't that into you to the point where he marries someone else who's emotionally unavailable and breaks your heart numerous times. <laughs> Now, this piece was called Carrie and Mr. Big Show How Toxic Endgame Relationships Can Be. You cannot, through perseverance, make someone love you. And I'm just going to read you an excerpt. From the beginning of their romance, we see Bradshaw continually being emotionally abused by Big, and yet she still hangs on to the relationship. When Big tells her that he's going to relocate to Paris and she offers to move there with him, he just shrugs and says... I don't want you to uproot your life and expect anything. He refuses to introduce Carrie to his mother, calling her his friend when she confronts them together. In other words, Big consistently downplays the seriousness of their relationship to Carrie, creating a dynamic in which she's always giving 
and almost never receiving. Their toxic on-again, off-again relationship had more downs than it had ups, conditioning a lot of women to believe that we need to accept a lot of bullshit in order to find epic love. And remember in the second episode of the reboot, a woman at Big's funeral, I believe it was Susan Sharon, says aloud, am I the only one who remembers what a prick he was to carry? Now, Holly and Jesse, I have two questions. First of all, was seeing this sort of idealised version of their relationship damaging for us or is the path to true love often rocky? And my second question, are we now calling all bad relationships emotionally abusive? Is that actually how you would characterise Big and Carrie's relationship, Jesse? I want to start with the first question, which I think this is absolutely so true and I understand it dramatically and in terms of a plot and how critical Big was as an antagonist, as a romantic figure that the show needed in order Mm. to sustain itself over all those seasons. However, I remember I was in my early 20s, peak Sex and the City, re-watching, re-watching, and I don't think I realised how much it conditioned me, but I was seeing this guy and I would go on dates and sometimes he seemed into me, sometimes he didn't. I'm pretty sure he was seeing someone else you know, we'd organise a date and then he'd cancel it last minute. And it was just very clear that this person wasn't besotted by me. Even if sometimes Mm. he was interested in me every third week, he wasn't going, oh my goodness, I've met my person. I remember writing something, I was journaling at the time and I've come across this again recently. And it says, I deserve a perfect beginning. And it's something that I realised a few times, which was stop working so hard to make this perfect maybe one day you'll find something that was perfect from the beginning and I was doing all this emotional work to forgive to move on Mm. to go to not be needy to not be needy to go just forgive him for that we don't know maybe he was in a funny place and what I think people discover with the person who they sometimes end up with I was listening to someone speak about this recently is that it's not that big bang moment that Big and Carrie had in the street. Mm. It's something quieter and it is something simpler. And so you often get a bit of a shock where you go, oh, is it missing all that tension and that pulling and... um, And the drama. And drama. Is this not... And the tears. Sparks. Like all Mm. this crap, which is basically another word for profound and sustained anxiety. Like... Am I missing that anxiety and therefore is this right? The show taught us to think that it was like you had to earn it and you had to win over other women. Like that plot point where she has an affair with Big when he's married to Natasha or whatever Mm. was like she had to prove that he loved her more than other women. Like that shouldn't be a part of a functional, healthy relationship. Big and Carrie have nothing in common. They rarely speak. They don't really make each other laugh. And I realised in this, there is no way Big would be listening to Carrie's podcast. He's the last person who would listen to it because he has no interest in her and what she has to say. (laughs) So true. Uh, I agree in the idea that I think once I unpicked this fantasy in my life, my entire romantic life changed. But I have a different view of the idea that, and this speaks a little bit to your second question, Mia, about whether or not we now name all relationships that are difficult, emotionally abusive. Because actually, when you watch back Sex in the City, as let's face it, I have done 20 million times in my life, 
Big actually is always very clear about what he wants. Yeah. If you watch it, and this is not my, I might get into trouble for this not sounding like a feminist thing to say, but Carrie pushes and pushes <laughs> and pushes him into the relationship that she wants. From the beginning, he's like, I don't really, I don't want you to meet my mom. Like, I don't think that's an emotionally abusive thing. He's no. just like, my mom's met enough women. That's pretty much what he says, right? Yeah. He's a man who's supposedly in his 40s when she meets him. And he doesn't really want to move in with her. And he doesn't really want it to be this, this and this. And I don't think he ever lies about that. It's Mm-mm. just he turns up when he wants Carrie and Carrie gets to pick or choose whether she's available at that time. You know he what I mean? very like, clear I think, boundaries and I, he tells I think her who he is. I, I resent, I mean, I, I think we've all had a relationship with someone who's emotionally unavailable and we can all recognise that. Mm. And I think when you're younger, you can really romanticise that. But I also object to the pathologising of it as an emotionally abusive relationship for the reasons that you just said, Hull. I think that just because you don't get what you want in a relationship and someone doesn't love you in the way and you know, on the time frame that you would like them to does not necessarily mean it was emotionally abusive. Having said that, I read something on the weekend that stuck with me, which is that the writers just had to kill him because they just couldn't write any scenes of dialogue between them. And it's true because when you see them, when you think about all the times that they're together, it's actually not a lot of times through the whole show and the movies. And when they're together, it's all that like, hey, kid, and she's like, I said to the man with the salmon, no, sir. And it's like <laughs> she plays the coquette and he plays the Mr Big and they don't actually talk. Like even in the masturbation scene, they don't actually have a conversation that feels real. My issue with the kind of relationship rules that we're setting up here where we're like the right one for you will be easy and mm. the wrong one for you will be hard mm. is people are different, right? What they want from relationships are different. And maybe if I'm extrapolating Carrie and Big, like Carrie has a big life and lots of friends and she's an extrovert and she loves going out and she wants dinner reservations every night and she wants, that's what she wants. Maybe her and Big just have a good time together. You know what I mean? Like it's Mm. not, she doesn't necessarily want to be home with him every night, like watching the same shows they want to watch and discussing everything in detail. I think that that whole thing that where are our reservations tonight is their whole thing yes but I think that it also suggests and this is what the show always suggested was that chemistry is enough that chemistry is enough to get you through anything chemistry is not enough to get you through the death of a parent it is not enough to get you through a really bad day at work like it just might be enough to sustain a six to twelve month relationship but for us to believe that Carrie and Big could be together for that long and go through everything they've gone together and that just be the result of a little bit of chemistry. I mean, chemistry disappears, doesn't it? Like at least a little bit. Not for them, Jesse. not for them. <laughs> I think the thing that's funny is that I think that relationship was always held up as an ideal and most of us didn't really buy it. Like none of us watched Sex and the City for Mr. Big, right? Nobody did. I know there are a few very small portion of people who he's their dream guy, but I don't know very many of those people. <laughs> did you want them to get together in the last episode? No, I, I never really wanted them to get together because I've always thought he was boring and I'm not really into middle-aged banker dudes and he was he's been a middle-aged banker dude for 20 years now but we wanted Carrie to get what she wanted that's why we were happy with that is because Mm. we wanted Carrie to feel chosen in inverted commas Mm. and when he finally chooses because that final season which is so great in so many ways 
some of the most believable bits in that were the tension between Miranda and Carrie when Carrie's going off to live in Paris and Miranda's like, you're an idiot. What are you doing that for? Mm. But then suddenly Miranda is like, yes, big, he's the right guy for you. When it's like, no, he's not. But we just wanted Carrie to get what she wanted, I think. This is my prediction and it's not a spoiler because I, I don't know, but it's just my prediction. I think based on the role that the secretary had in the funeral and we have never met her before, mm. I think that the big Carrie story isn't over and that she's going to find out that he cheated on her or that there were things that he was hiding from her and she's going to look back. Yeah, she's going to look back on their relationship and rethink it and take it off the pedestal that it was on. Which I really want to happen. There's a quote by the poet and writer and all-round incredible thinker, Maya Angelou, that Holly came across this week. And in the words of Oprah, it gave us all a bit of an aha moment. It says, I've learned that you can tell a lot about a person by the way he or she handles three things. A rainy day, lost luggage and tangled Christmas tree lights. (laughs) The reason I came across this, by the way, Jessie, is somebody sent it to me after I posted a picture of said tangled Christmas tree lights and said every effing year and how it's always an argument in my house every year. Whose fault is this? We have no patience for it. So I think I failed that test straight away. Someone sent me this quote and I was like, ah. This makes sense. It reveals something awful about ourselves. Yeah. I love this quote so much because even speaking of Big and Carrie, which we just were, you can't tell much from someone about how they behave on a wonderful holiday or at a beautiful restaurant right? That's just their best selves. But Christmas, that's when the real essence of a person comes out, which might actually explain why the weekend that just passed is the biggest weekend of breakups in the whole year. We talked about that on a daily drop, but if you were dumped this weekend, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Look, I digress, but I reckon you can tell a lot about a person by how they accept a gift. I think that reveals whether you're someone who lives by radical honesty. My brothers are like this. If they see the gift and it's not right, they'll say, oh, that's not right. What do you mean? Like how? Um, Give me an example of that. One year they were given like AirPods. Yeah. And I probably would have been like, oh, my goodness, thanks so much. Good gift, not cheap. Great, great gift. And one of my brothers just went, oh, I've got these. (gasps) And it's not because they're trying to be cruel. It's because they live by a philosophy of you must always tell the truth. I don't know who told them that, but it is a fundamental difference between us. And it really becomes evident at Christmas when I'm like, Christmas is a season of lying. Yes, Of lying to everyone. For joy. That's where joy is made. In the service of joy. Exactly. Now, how they engage at a Christmas party that isn't their own I think that says a lot about someone. So Mr. Big, he wouldn't be going to Carrie's oh, family no. Christmas oh, ever. No. Ever. He would be like, no, I have my Peloton to ride on or whatever. Yeah. I've had a partner who came to a family Christmas once and asked no questions, didn't want to be there, left after an hour. Like, and, and they didn't understand the implicit nature of it, which was this is about how much you care about me. Mm. Like if you engage and if you hang out with my cousins or whatever it means you care about me the third thing is their general attitude to the season I think that Christmas is about hope so if you're a Christmas person who puts up fairy lights who puts up a tree who wears a hat you're an optimist 
You love joy and happiness. If you do none of those things, I think you know that nothing ever lives up to expectations and you've learnt to not try. I am in the latter category. Holly, I have a feeling you're in the former. Are you a Christmas person and what do you learn about yourself every season? Massively into Christmas. Mm. Love it. I'm very specific about it. It has to start late. Do not approve of the early Christmas people. Sorry, but I love Christmas. My personality test failure comes in the tangled Christmas lights fall though immediately as evidence last night this was me I spend two minutes going I can handle this I will unravel the Christmas lights I am I will be calm and organized then I have a tantrum <laughs> then I abdicate responsibility by throwing said Christmas lights at Brent and say you deal with it I'm sure you put them away anyway and you do <laughs> so look I'm a Christmas person but I'm also a massive punish but <laughs> I think you're so right, Jesse. I think the the one about how do you react to a present you don't like is crucial. And I beat this into my children. Mm. I tell them all the time, it doesn't matter what's in that parcel, especially if it's from someone else, like if it's from me, you know, different. Although that still requires a certain level of appreciation. You smile, you say thank you, mm-hmm. you tell them you love it, you move on. Mm. Just that is it. Those that, that is the only yeah, acceptable agree. way to open a present. I remember I have a very clear memory of a year because presents become more important to kids as they get older because they're more specific. So this year, Matilda, my older child who's turning twelve soon, has very specific requirements for the kind of presents she wants, and she doesn't have a lot of faith in me or anyone else getting it right. But she, so there are bound to be tears. But I have a very specific memory of a Christmas when I was a similar age to Matilda and I hated all my presents and I went upstairs and cried. And every time I think about that Christmas, I feel so ashamed of myself because my grandma bought me some perfume that was horrendous. (laughs) But like, grandma didn't know, you know. Uh, It's about not feeling seen if you get the wrong present. But I think you've got to accept, and maybe this is like the side lesson, is presents are wonderful things, but if you really want what you want, earn your own money and buy them. Like don't expect them from other people. That was me from the age I could speak to 25. I... (laughs) hated it became a joke mum just started going you know what here's an ugly dressing gown it cost me twelve dollars fuck you like that it became that because no matter how much she spent or what she did it was wrong it was wrong and it was because I went no one understands me in this world Mm. no one understands what I want did I tell you no but you should know because I thought you understood so what happens with gifts now like with Luca and stuff at the tender age of 25 I learned it might be kinder just to accept the gift. Yeah. And now I do present a list of things, very specific, model p- potentially a link to the AirPods. And Luca and I are good because we don't sort of go over the top with gifts, but I like the thoughtfulness. When I say over the top, when I turned 30, Luca bought me 30 say, gifts hello. and a dog. So <laughs> Yeah. That was pretty over the top. That made up. That made Just up. Wait for, for Brent is um I imagine that Brent is right now wrapping one of my fifty presents yes. for next week. Yes. What's challenging though in, in terms of Christmas is when you live with someone who didn't used to celebrate Christmas. So, so much Mm. about Christmas as an adult is trying to recapture the magic of when you were a kid. And that's why Christmas feels disappointing for so many of us because you never can. Because particularly for women, 
not only will probably nobody get you a decent gift, mm. but you've also got to do a shit ton of work and yep. mental load around it and physical load. But for me, like Christmas was always such a joyful thing. Even though I grew up, I guess, Jewish, we still celebrated Christmas and my husband didn't. And so when we got together, I just assumed we would have a Christmas tree and do all that stuff. But it's not that he didn't want to do it. He just didn't understand the point of it. Yes, mm. yes. Like I he think didn't it's down to the personality type thing. Yeah. Not that your husband's not an optimist, but he's not an optimist. Yeah, he I think he's a realist, it, which well, is he's, he's very much like he's very why, practical and yeah. pragmatic. So he's like, why buy all this wrapping paper and wrap all these things that people don't want, and it's excessive, and why get so many presents for the children? And I'm like, because part of Christmas morning is waking up and they're being. Even if the things are small or not great, yeah. it's like there's a sense of abundance and a sense Hope. of magic <laughs> and a sense of joy. So, yeah, I, I've struggled and there have been some years where I've just not really done anything because it's felt too hard to fight that. Mm. And I felt so sad and so guilty for the children. So now, you know, I try to make more of a... You did a tree this year, didn't you? Yeah, we did a tree. Oh. We did. We, we've done a tree for the like, you know, some years we don't do trees. Most years we do trees. But I'm not very organised. The other personality test festive one is the last roast potato in the dish on the table. Like, oh, you yeah. know that thing where everybody goes, you have it. No, you have it. No, you have it. Oh, I never like, say that. Not I in our family. Oh, the person who goes in for it, oh, you know. That's always the, me, the obviously. Yeah, and, and usually me too. I'm like, yeah. really? Another roast potato? <laughs> <laughs> I have a recommendation before we go that is festive and optimistic for sure. If you're looking for Christmassy movies that don't make you want to vomit, you know how we have noticed that a lot of our favourite Christmas movies are a little bit problematic these days, mm. like Love Actually, for example, that I um, wanted to show my children and then I remembered about the porn, the fat shaming and <laughs> the infidelity. Not that that's That's really coming up on Cancelled in the next few weeks, a big deep dive on Love Actually. Oh, good. Mm. Glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Well, 2021 has delivered an alternative. It's even being marketed with the same typography and everything as Love Actually, and it's called Love Hard, and it's on Netflix. And I watched it on the weekend, and I was a little bit eye-rolly about it, but I loved it. It's a rom-com with all the usual tropes. There's like a, a pretty young woman whose job appears to be writing on the internet, but very, you know, pays a lots of money, and she's fine. She's a, a love columnist. Her shtick is that she goes on terrible dates and writes about them. And then she gets catfished at Christmas and travels across the country to go and see this guy that she's met online. And, oh, hilarity ensues. Now, <laughs> the thing, that makes it sound terrible, but it's actually really good. It's clever. It's got diverse casting. The love interest, the male love interest, is the most atypical male love interest you've ever seen. They've rewritten several kind of Christmas songs to be woke but not in an insufferable way it's just oh, charming good. yeah it's charming and funny and cute and a little bit surprising but also very comforting it's called love hard i didn't really know any of the actors in it except for nina dobrev who plays the woman but it's really funny very nice that is all we have time for today on Mama Mia Out Loud. Thank you for listening. This episode was produced by emma gillespie and the executive producer is eliza ratliff bye bye, bye. If you need something to listen to next, listen to What Are You Wearing? Especially if you're trying to decide what to wear mm. to Christmas parties or your Christmas day. 
Tamara Davis and Denny Todorovich answer listener questions about fashion in a very relatable way with the best tips. Here's a little bit. Who is bringing a pair of heels to the beach with them in their bag just in case they're going to a bar afterwards? No one. No! Okay, so Tam, as, a, as an actual, you know, as a woman who has to do this in the summer, not like just the gay stylist like me who gets to say, yeah, let's do this. What are your tips for our listeners? The beach to bar. I yeah. love this. Look, Hit this me. is actually one of my favourite ways of styling. I live next to the beach, but I love like, you know, a sort of a lightweight top that you can throw over your swimmers. Or maybe you're going to take like a, a bra with you just to quickly change into, an, into in the public toilets, whatever. And then chuck on a little pair of tailored shorts mm. and then a sandal. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.